0: First, a uh, breach notification. Wayland Utani takes the security of our systems and data seriously, and we have implemented numerous safeguards to protect them. When we learned of a nearby derelict, our investigation determined it was something for you to explore. Because of our commitment to trust and transparency, we have worked diligently to make LV-426 important to building better worlds with you, our families at Hadley's Hope. Which means, this week, we talk about deception and subverting the source code review process. And, even though it's Alien Day, we don't need examples from a fictional megacorp to do so. In the news segment, Signal nukes Cellbrite from orbit, Homebrew suffers a YAML chestburster, Kernel fuzzing turns to macOS Xenomorphs, Airdrop preserves privacy, mostly, and more. Somebody wake up, Hicks. And stay tuned for Application Security Weekly.
1: This is a Security Weekly production. It's the show to learn the latest tools, techniques, and processes necessary to understand DevOps, application security, and cloud security. Your trusted source for the latest application security news. It's time for Application Security Weekly. We're proud to announce CISO Stories, a new podcast series in partnership with Cybersecurity Collaborative and Cyber Reason. CISO Stories features the candid perspectives and experiences of frontline senior security executives and dives deep into timely security topics. CISO Stories is hosted by Todd Fitzgerald, VP of Cybersecurity Strategy at Cybersecurity Collaborative, and Sam Curry, Chief Product and Security Officer at Cyber Reason. Listen weekly as they speak with extraordinary CISOs by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CSP. Cloud-native development presents new challenges for security teams. Ephemeral workloads are scattered across services, and it's hard to identify resources, monitor configurations, and ensure compliance. Prisma Cloud by Palo Alto Networks is a comprehensive cloud-native security platform, delivering full-stack protection for multi and hybrid cloud environments. It provides deep visibility, threat detection, and data security, as well as protection for hosts, containers, and serverless, while enforcing policy guardrails. Visit securityweekly.com/prismacloud forward slash to gain control over your cloud security. This is episode 148,
0: recorded April 26, 2179. I'm your host, Mike Shima, and I'm here with John Kinsella. Hello, John.
2: Hey, I had to check the date before we even got to the year part of that, just make sure it was right. Time flies.
0: <laughs> Time does fly, yes, and sometimes it feels like we're running a salvage operation for this uh, podcast. Uh, let's see how we can get make it through this episode. And other things that we can make it through is that Security Weekly listeners can save $100 on their RSA Conference 2021 All Access Pass. RSA Conference will be a fully virtual experience from May 17th to 20th, 2021. Security Weekly will also be live streaming Monday through Friday in the virtual broadcast alley, interviewing some of the top sponsors and speakers for the event. To register with our discount code, please visit securityweekly.com slash RSAC 2021 and use the code 5U1Cyber. We hope to see you there. Do you also want to stay in the loop on all things Security Weekly? Visit securityweekly.com slash subscribe to subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher or our YouTube channel. Sign up for a mailing list, join our Discord server, and you can chat with us right now, and follow us on our newest live streaming platform, Twitch. Hello, subs. Hello, everyone out there. And in addition to being Alien Day, so happy LV426 day, um, it's a good week for to talk about deceptive practices, because as everyone has uh, perhaps been talking about, in the Linux kernel space, in the application security space, there was a pretty interesting kerfuffle, we'll say. And to riff off the Aliens theme uh, is sort of an, in source, no one can hear you scream unless you happen to be a kernel maintainer uh, this past week. So trying to uh, go into an introduction here is very brief. Researchers submitted some intentionally vulnerable code to the Linux kernel in order to see if the flaws would be detected by a manual code review process. They did this, in fact, with many open source projects, but the major blowback came from the Linux kernel. And so let's just start with kind of setting the stage about what happened. So I gave kind of a brief introduction there. And uh, John, this is, up to, this is up to you and I, this segment, to, to walk us through. So what, what else should we call out as sort of setting the stage about what happened here and sort of the, 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 the intention, perhaps, of what this research was for?
2: Oh, interesting way to start it. Uh, I think, I'm, I'm sure the intention was, um, God, it, it's hard for me to even find the right words. <laughs> it, I'm sure the intention of, of what they what happened here in this paper was, you know, I, I don't think, well, I'm sure it was positive, let's just say that. Um, and you know what, I'm, I'm going to steer slightly for a second because sure. what, what's really interesting to me about this, and we're, we're going to dig through this in, for, like you said, for a while. Um, but one of the first thoughts to well, not one of the first, one of the thoughts to me over the weekend when I was studying for my CISSP, whoops, don't touch that. When I was studying for my CISSP in, what, 98, 99, whatever it was back in the day, uh, one of the sections which was really sort of stressed com- repeatedly in, in, in that certificate, certification, it has been over the years, is ethics. Um, and it, it's always, to me, been such a, like, that's one of the things which, even without that, it was striking to me because from a compu- computer security point of view, I would never consider being uneth- unethical, right? That's, like, sort of what we are and how we're able to stand up proud and and, and tell people to do what we're doing. So that's where I have a hard time um, stuttering through um, saying that they have a, a positive intention when they did this. Uh so let's see, how else can we keep setting that up? The 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 precursor, the the overall hypothesis was um, when you have a large code bases uh which are being maintained by mostly are frequently volunteers, uh how good are they at manually spotting someone trying to slip something in? Uh and I think In a way, they probably could have just come to us and asked us this because we've talked about this for years, right? And some people are better than others. Uh, But at the end of the day, I I think we all say, don't just trust manual review. Have some amount of automation going on this process. So, but they decided they were going to test this out. uh, And for folks who, I mean, I I suspect there's still some out there who haven't heard through this. To test this out in a way which is um, sneaky, we'll say. Um, And I think, you know, if you go back through uh, academic level research over the last 20 years, 30 years comes to mind for me. Uh, I was looking, as I'm I'm exploring up here in Seattle, the area. I'm fairly new to, uh, I recently found a a large cancer research institution when I was going through their Wikipedia pages, trying to figure out who owns all these big buildings. Um, They got their hands slapped back in the 90s for um, cancer research which was possibly slightly unethical. Um, but as a result of that, they formed a, 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 an ethics board and now they're like completely straight and narrow. So this isn't just, you know, obviously pure to uh, comp sci or to security or to, like a sort of a science. Um, there's probably some non-scientific examples out there, but so ethics isn't new to us. Uh, uh, doing research and studies like this in an ethical way shouldn't be new to us. Um, I, I think, the one aspect I don't know about you Mike that I haven't dug into yet is is um, the advisor on this um I'm happy I'm not that guy but I, I think that could be interesting to talk about um just, even just from a managerial point of view but yeah so that that's sort of I think how we set this up um hopefully I haven't gone past setup there but yeah right it's it's
0: no I think it's yeah, left I, us in an I, interesting I think you're right position. Yeah, and, and uh, in this, in the show notes, um, it, actually one of the things I discovered is that we have a, a character limit in the show notes. So I couldn't throw in quite all the links I wanted to, but there are some links to some backgrounds of ethical research, and the reason why a lot of ac- academic institutions and other institutions have these review boards um, goes back to what was called the, the Belmont study, as well as um, I, you know some links just to ethics on deceptive studies. And, and here the deception was, uh, the researchers saying, dear kernel maintainers, we have some patches. Would you, you know, would you commit these? Kernel maintainers said, oh, okay, these look okay. We'll commit them. Then the researchers came and say, ah, just kidding. We, we fooled you. Those actually had a vulnerability that you're about to expose the entire kernel to. Um, i maybe maybe throwing a little bit of hyperbole as I'm kind of describing that with my uh, voice inflection, but it was a deceptive study. And to John's point, Ethics should not be and aren't new to the research research environment. Um, Perhaps they are new a bit more to computer science because computer science likes to deal with languages more so, and you know systems more so than people. So there's the ethical aspect of it. There's also the aspect of, was this new? Sort of, what, what, what would be the, mo- and not sense of the, the individual motivations for this, but w- would they be potentially unlocking or exposing something new and unknown as an attack class for this type of hypocrite commit, as they called it? And that's one of the things that I also wanted to turn to. Uh, just pointing out, for example, there has been a long history of uh, the obfuscated C contest, which is just a way to how can you make code look really strange, but it still executes, which is also a great setup for the obfuscated Perl contest, which is redundant. Um, but more salient to this point is the underhanded C contest, uh, which came out around 2005. And the gist of that contest was to say, rather than obfuscating quite obviously with code, how could you... Create some vulnerabilities that are quite underhanded that might be a buffer overflow, might be a off by one type of error or some some multi-dimensional problems that, that blow up in code that are really subtle and a reviewer might not see. So, and I bring that up because there's a lot of history here that it's not necessarily novel to think, just as John was saying, Committers might not be the best actors. And we've even seen this in the kernel itself, with in the past some suspicious commits where it's hard to distinguish was this just really bad code or was somebody intentionally introducing some bad code here? Um, so, so there's that aspect too. So we've set up that, you know, this deceptive research doesn't necessarily feel novel to me. And um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add there on the on the novelty aspect or what they're trying to look for. Then we can start to turn into some of the response from the kernel maintainers as well.
2: <sighs> um, yeah, I should have been taking notes there. A uh, few things. Let's see. <laughs> um, I want to back up first for a second and, and talk about ethics. Because I think for some of us, this is a very, um, I mean, like I said, it's in my blood. It, it, this is, you know, core to who I am in many ways, uh, at least at work. <laughs> um, but so I, I think for, you know, we have a, a wide range of, of viewership listeners around the world. Um, I suspect from my own experiences um, in different parts of the world, Are even just different ages, let's just say that. Some people may think about ethics at a different way, and they might not see the issue with how this was done, and obviously these guys didn't. Um, So I I think that's worth an extra 30 seconds to sort of think through and talk through Mm -hmm. why why was this wrong, right? I think a lot of us get it. But what is wrong with the idea of um, submitting a patch to open source? Uh, and sort of what the problem is there is there is a understanding of trust, uh, uh, Open source, and this is obviously changing with like a lot of stuff we've been talking about, um, signed commits and all sorts of different things. But there is a understanding of a, a base understanding of trust, I think in most most projects that when someone makes a contribution, again, whether if it's code or documentation, whatever it is, that they're doing so in the best interests of the community. Uh, and in turn, when that software is published, Uh, it is published for others to use in the best interest of the community. So, I mean, think about all the stuff we have around going on around us in the world, Uh, Linux, Kubernetes, um, OpenSSL, there's so many of these puzzle pieces out there which, if they didn't exist and they didn't have people working on them diligently and, you know, through weekends and nights and all these type of things for free, uh, we wouldn't have half of, you know, even what's sitting around me on my desk, right? I mean. Look around you right now and think about what do you have that's, at least computer-wise, that doesn't have some amount of open source on it. Um, so for someone to play, ha-ha, a trick, I got you, that's sort of a big deal. Um, and that that's why we're spending time on, that's why, as we're about to go into yes. the re- response from these kernel maintainers, was quite a lot of teeth gnashing. Uh, but then, you know, another aspect there, the as I've said before, and I try not to repeat myself too much, but I, I have done this particular section of, of of computer security professionally, I think there's a little bit of a difference between um, so the code review skill set and the software development skill set, from the point of view of if you're writing software, you've got a goal you're trying to get to, so how do I get to there from here? What do I need to modify or create to get there? Uh, when I'm looking at code from a review, I mean, I, it's, it's so much easier for a pull request, particularly a small pull request, not like, you know, um, what we see sometimes at least with bamboo, bamboo? Uh, Bitbucket, excuse me, I always get those backwards. But at least with Bitbucket, um, if a pull request gets too big, it stops showing the files in line. I don't, don't I don't know, if, I haven't seen GitHub do this, but it'll stop showing the files in line and you have to go and click on each file individually. That's sort of a, a smell by itself that something's wrong if you're doing that big of a yeah. change, right. But if, if I'm looking at code, and I can't clearly something when I'm ripping through it, right, because usually once you're going, you've got other things to do. If it's not your main job, if I'm going through there and I see something which looks like that's either more complex than it should be, or what's actually going on in there. That's when I zoom in and start looking closer. But that's a skill which definitely isn't taught in CompSci, um, and I think that's something you only get through experience, right? Like, why are you suddenly working with pointers, or um, you know, why are you doing uh, um, some sort of strange uh, marshal unmarshal? What's going on here? Why 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 is this code getting suddenly complex? Right. Is that a um, a less skilled developer or is that a very skilled developer who thinks they're they're fooling me? Um so that's interesting to think about as well. But um but so there's let a me, one in there, but yeah, we'll see. I think we've got to keep going. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, so yeah. So let me pull on a little bit more of that the the ethics aspect, and then you're getting on to I think a very important point uh, about the 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 most important one of the most important points about why we are talking about this. And the ethics aspect is not new to security, because I also want to point out there was the. Uh, uber data breach and the the bug bounty payment that was basically designed as a cover-up for it um, as well as just bug bounties in general have a lot of constraints to say don't do social engineering and it's not so much because we don't think social engineering doesn't work it's more of that's a time waster don't tell us things that we already know or there's one aspect there there's also even phishing testing we've seen uh, just this past December GoDaddy send out a uh, phishing testing to employees saying, hey, here's a $650 holiday bonus, and then punished everyone who clicked on that link and that's not really a great way of testing to prove that people can click on a link why not make the link itself more secure or the act of clicking on a link more secure is what I meant to say meaning you've got multi-factor authentication you have up-to-date software you're using things like Chromebooks and and so on so this is what I'm getting at too in terms of where is the problem here and the other part of it is that you were just describing there John is a lot of the insights about what are the skills of code review I'm just going to throw in some numbers here to put this in perspective. So, I was looking at the uh, Linux history uh, published. Uh, the Linux Foundation published a history of the Linux kernel uh, back in 2020, and some some interesting aspects for it were there was the in 2020 the Linux kernel celebrated its 1 millionth commit. It has over 1,500 people listed in the maintainers file. So these are 1,500 people that are like actively on a day-to-day, weekly, or at least a monthly basis, You know, actively involved in, in this project, in the kernel. And to give a sense of the commits, though, and, and how much code that they're looking at, for 2005 to 2008, it averaged two commits per hour. Now in 2021, it's closer to 11 commits per hour. So even if we're talking about the level of scrutiny and the skills that we're that uh, John was describing and bringing into reviewing code from a security perspective, you you can't do that from a manual aspect. And I think this is one of the other things that really gets to why the reaction was so strong in the security community in general, as well as from the Linux kernel, is because they wasted a lot of time with these commits. They broke some of the trust, which you could argue that a bad actor doesn't care about this trust, but just even this type of deception study is wasting time for a non-novel approach and for something that basically we can remind everyone, oh yeah, this is a thing. This is why we actually have automation. This is why we have code coverage tools. This is why we have fuzzing to try and find these types of problems. So that's where maybe is a good segue to start into what was the response, what the response was from the, from the Linux kernel team and uh, what we think about that and what we might have, maybe would we have done something different? I'll throw that over to you.
2: I can get my microphone to work. Um, yeah, it, it, and it's, Sorry, I keep losing thoughts there. Uh, you're you're going. We're covering so much great stuff in this one topic. Um, the the response. Yeah, no. I was going to say. Let's see if I can get the thought out. On the, uh, it's not just wasting time. Um, and I think I had a really great conversation with someone over the last week uh, about um, in in our in particularly in my industry right now. What does it mean to be a developer first? Um, and it's really interesting, if, if you really dig through a lot of what we talk about, or a lot of st- startups out there, when you talk about developer-first security, it's frequently um, still security people talking about, this is what we want developers to do. Not really embracing the persona of a developer, or a day in life of a developer, and going, yeah they're still trying to get code written, but this security crap's getting in the way. Um, and bringing that back into this, what you were just talking about, it's not just, you know, we're wasting code review time or commit time or all those type of aspects of time. It's not just the um, breaking of trust between the project and the community or the um, a contributor in the project, but it's breaking that trust between security and the developer. Um, and that's, you know, we've really struggled, I think, over the last decade or so, particularly to try and maybe even half decade to try and, you know, kumbaya, we're all one big happy family. Um, AppSec is not a bad thing. You know, the drum we've been beating for God knows how long here. Uh, so I think that's one of the aspects, one of the many aspects. Obviously, there's a lot of us that are um, teeth gnashing on this from all sorts of different aspects. Uh, but moving into that, <laughs> you know, it was a pretty public call out from Greg KH, uh, who is longtime mm-hmm. uh um maintainer of Linux. Uh, I mean, I remember named back into the, the I think the nineties, definitely two thousands. Um, so some of these people who have been working, toiling on this project for literally decades. Um and it's, as I think you were saying, it's, this isn't the first time someone's tried the ha-ha gotcha either with Linux or all sorts of other things out there. So you're not proving anything new, guys. So you're not proving anything new. You're breaking trust. You're doing all these things we're talking about. Uh, yeah, to a certain group of folks, it's incredibly offensive. So yeah, I got a lot of very loud talk back. Um I'm pretty sure it's not on the front cover of uh, the New York Times. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> in many of the areas which we do read, yeah, that this shows up in the Google News Feed or um, I think it was on Hackaday. Uh, so in all sorts of areas which are not quite you know, AppSec sort of closer stuff, it's still getting a lot of attention. If this had happened, say, 10 years ago, this is an interesting thought experiment. If this had happened 10 years ago, uh, when a lot of corporations are still saying, ooh, I don't know if I want this Linux and this open source thing in my company. I, who do I call for support? Remember that whole thing? If this type of thing had happened then and gotten sort of pu- publicity then, how would that have affected the adoption of open source? So there's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I'll, I'll say that the uh, um, young-minded college students with some interesting ideas, something they thought they probably thought they might get their hands slapped but i don't think they fully understood the ramifications of of how far this really could go um and that's why so many people are at least my point of view quite upset over it
0: yeah, and I think in one, one of the other reasons I thought this would be a good conversation to have is it ties a little bit back to just the, the VC article we talked about in the last episode, which you were just saying, you know, security and deve- developers, how are they getting along? Should they be getting along? And there is, of course, a, a degree, an, an antagonistic dimension to it, just because they're saying, is our code secure? Or well, how is this code going to break down? What are the processes going to break down? But the antagonism there is more about demonstrating threats and the collaboration comes from let's work together to Get by them to address them, and that's where we've seen too some very some better approaches already. Just with Sigstore from the Linux Foundation that we were talking about signed commits. Uh, Google uh, we we covered an article from them that they were talking about security maturity within the open source community, and there are they were touching on some important topics to discuss things like should uh, maintainers or should contributors to critical areas of code be anonymous or not. Or at least have some type of identity tied to them. So There's already some of these discussions have been happening, talking about software build materials. I mentioned, too, fuzzing, things like that. These are the areas that are already known, that are already being worked on. And this is what I come back to quite a bit about just there was nothing new here, nothing interesting that was even even in the hypothesis that that could have come out of this. And for me, that's also why I do like the response from a deterrence factor in the sense of uh, it's good for the for, for. for Greg KH to get in front of this in the sense of we don't need a trend now of security conference presentations or bug bounty submissions where people are just repeating and demonstrating, ah, this is how I used this to trick a committer into accepting this sneaky use after free or this sne- other sneaky heap overflow or this other sneaky sprintf problem when it should have been sm printf or I demonstrated how snprintf printf could still be subverted, for example. Because all of that would be a callback to things like when uh, CSRF first came out and we saw a slew of presentations about CSRF or any time a, a new attack class comes out that I don't see this as a new attack class. So I like it, the, the response and the, the very forceful response from that perspective of a deterrence on just wasting time. Now, I will be very quick to admit this wouldn't be a deterrence on bad actors coming in and trying to do this. Try. I was going to say legitimately, but trying to do these types of subversive attacks. I, uh, and just one other thing I want to p- throw in there, too, to help us with perspective on the, the complexity of what we're looking at, is that uh, also looking into the Linux kernel history, is that the two major employers who are uh, responsible for the most commits and most change sets that are coming into the Linux kernel are Intel and Huawei, for that matter. So it's quite interesting to see, to John, your point about what the modern uh, corporate, call it takeover, corporate influence, but corporate collaboration and participation, to use kindlier terms, is within the kernel. And there is a lot of maturity within those processes, but what we're talking about here is, there's also that long tail of just, who are the other people committing code, And if we're getting 10 to 11 commits per hour, just what can the quality ever be of that manual review process?
2: Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was just rereading the email he sent. Um, That's a very interesting thread. I, I think what's interesting there about what you're just saying is not so much just the, yeah, so it's, it's as corps get in, as you have, oh man, I can't remember the number of developers' links has working, excuse me, <laughs> IBM has working on Linux, and that was before the, the Red Hat acquisition, or merger, however you want to phrase mm-hmm. that. So yeah, there's very large amounts of folks working on this stuff, right? Uh, I think in the early days, uh, what, by which I mean probably Mid 2000s, if I remember right, uh, probably a little earlier, Linus realized that he couldn't go through all the code reviews himself. And he started coming up with this structure um, so that, you know, there's sort of a, to use the phrase, hierarchy of who's reviewing, of reviewing sort of say, like, you know, those just separate projects and then people go above it. And, and right. by the time it gets to him, it, it should be fairly clean. So I think that works in a lot of ways. Um, what's also going to be interesting is as more and more tools come out that are doing automated, um pull requests to fix things, which is one of the excuses these guys are using, which is really strange because it's yeah anyways. Um but as that actually does start happening and you have a bunch of tools out there which are doing automated pull requests. Uh that that's going to be interesting because again that takes a different type of brain, right? It's or a different part of your brain. You're suddenly going from not just Hey, I'm. This is a, a developer submitting code, or this is a developer who who is, you know, um, submitting a patch to to fix a bug. I mean, you've got Dependabot, which sometimes will try to send stuff, and that requires you to go and go. Okay, did that version of the library break things? Are my unit tests good enough? All that type of concept. Uh, if you look at some of the other tools out there, um, you know, uh, um, Deep Source comes to mind, or, or us over at, at Acurix, we're on the IAC side. Deep Source, some other ones. Um, if you look at what. Those guys are doing some of the code they're submitting. Uh, great intentions, not always uh, um, perfect. I'd say 80, 90% of the time it's right, but sometimes it's not. Uh, but that, again, takes a, a very particular mindset to go, okay, is that actually a, an issue I care about, or are we doing it this way for a reason? Uh, take Take a step back, and I think I've griped about this on here before. Uh, Amazon ECR uses... Um, I want to say, Claire. I'm not giving this away as a trade secret. I heard from someone else. So, um, but they're using one of the open source scanners behind um, the scenes. I under- is my understanding, and it has false positives for some of the uh, um, container images out there, Alpine. So, and it's very clear, right? If you if someone like us goes and looks at it and goes, you're trying to tell me that a that a an image created by Alpine in 2020 has a vulnerability from 2006, I can tell you it's a false positive without even going any further, but some folks see that and go, oh, I have to, or, you know, a, um, a consultancy or a um, some sort of auditor comes through and sees that and goes, you have to fix this, you've got a high level criticality in your image, and suddenly you've got three or four developers going and, and spinning wheels and, and figuring out how do you do a APK ad package from the, the source and compile it just so you don't have this vulnerability, right? So it's these things are really complex. Um, so back to as we have more developers and as we sort of scale, up, like you're saying, in these large corporates getting involved, uh, they will have teams that that do this, and that's their their full time day job. But when that comes back to the community, how does that fly? One of the to sort of go in a different angle for a tiny second, one of the reasons the Apache Software Foundation is so sensitive to um, corporate uh, donations, I believe is the phrase, is. They're worried that one of these large orgs will come in and be able to take over a project and do what they want. And they're thinking about purely from the, usually from the uh, um, community aspect and making sure it's not becoming a corporate project. But at the same time, if someone has a uh, um, malicious intentions or even questionable intentions, and they came in and did, did something like this, and they start, you know, say they've they've managed to get, I don't know, pick a project uh. Um, I'm looking for a word, Aroma. The Aroma project, I don't think it exists. And you know, it's doing pretty well, it's got an okay following, maybe a thousand stars on on GitHub. And suddenly uh, uh, a company decides they want to take that over. So they, you know, they start doing a ton of commits, they get pretty popular in the scene. This is obviously not a small term, let's call it 12 to 20, 18 months. And they've put themselves in a position that they're able to start putting people onto the, the management committee for that, or maybe the security team for that, and start sneaking code in that th- these things become pretty hard to, to, t- to catch. So I think that's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm partially making a story up, but it's something to, and I don't want to make that sound like that's an Apache opinion. That's me sort of starting with an Apache opinion and, and going somewhere. So keep that in mind. But um, yeah, th- these things are, um, we're not, we're, we're partially here making it sound like we're skating on thin ice. I think as a community, we're not. But we're still, we know what happens is if one or two people start drilling holes in the ice for ice fishing and ice fishing becomes really popular, we're going to have a really big problem with the ice on that, on that lake in the winter, right? So that's sort of, I think, what's going on here and why we're sort of reacting the way we do, to, to use that analogy. I think it holds up, no pun intended.
0: I, I think it does. And, and to help build out some of the points you were making is that in in reading this, my mind was going into what are the attack classes we should be or we should be considering here, worried about here. One we've seen just a couple of weeks ago, the malicious PHP commits where someone compromised a committer's and impersonated a committer and so this is why we have we want as a security community things like signed commits so you have to protect the the signing keys for your individual uh individual developers and we'll see attackers then go after those individual developers keys and try to compromise them so that the commits aren't coming from a random person but from a legitimate person who's been impersonated so there's one class there's also just typo squatting that we've seen in dependency management very common uh type of attack you were just mentioning uh john is sort of that 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 apache scenario ish Uh, we've seen that very much in that type of reputation laundering i'll call it within chrome plugins where a chrome plugin becomes popular the maintainer loses interest or just doesn't have time to continue it it gets taken over and those who take it over uh, in much quicker than 12 to 18 months we've seen this on a one to two month timeline suddenly it starts serving advertising or it starts leaking private information so there's plenty of precedent, and we've seen these types of activities happen, as well as even just uh, give a throwback to the NPM left pad, where the, it was unpublished by its owner. So this wasn't even a bad actor, mm-hmm. but unpublishing a repo um, impacted availability for tons and tons of front end and um, and code that was relying on this. So there is a lot of weak, weak points here within the, the software process. So that's why I'm just saying, looking at this paper, looking at their recommendations and saying, shrug, this is these are things we already knew about. These are things that we're also, the kernels is also doing. So that, that's where I'm coming down to and trying to put on my hat for the OWASP uh, 2021 conference this year. They're celebrating their 20 years. They still have their CFP available, I believe. So um, what would be the great things to throw into that conference that would be Pushing the needle forward, which I just feel bad for using that cliche. What would be new and novel? What would bring some recommendations that are actionable, that are something different that we can do to, to deal with an attack class? And so I think that's where I want to go with this type of conversation. And um, we're running near the end there. So um, I think that's where I'll set my thoughts on this for now. Uh, but give you the moment for the, uh, the some, some last words here, John.
2: Ooh. Lucky me. Um. <laughs> So again, bringing it back, I'm going to bring it back to the developer first thing, um, because I think there's not a lot of new security here around us, right? I think you know we've talked about OWASP top ten. Why isn't you know why haven't some of those things disappeared off there? And I think we're working on it, um, but I think a good part is because that that sort of. Um generally the we know what needs to be done to have uh, uh, good cleanliness uh, in in, op- in source code, open source or not. But the question becomes how do you I, I think what's interesting to me right now about developer first is that's what um, by getting the people who are writing the software, Ah, uh, not just to understand it, but to provide them with tools and capabilities so that they are able to, um, you know, understand and react and, um, get their minds around what's going on in in a manner which works with them and the tools that they're using, um, with, you know, without having to go out and read gobbledygook on some other site and something they don't care about, and, you know, if they look at this, even just that that one email from Greg. It's like, why do I care about static analysis and whether or not that, that's an issue or not, right? If you just if you focus in on this too closely, uh, I suspect a lot of people just said, delete that email thread. I, I just don't care. Um, so how do you... I think that's what's interesting for me for the next 12, 18 months. I keep using that time frame. But uh, how, do we, how do we... We know the issue. How do we make this something which uh, um, is as um, uh, consumable and easily to act on and recognize uh, by the folks who are dealing with this. In other words, how can we get a security nerds out of the way um, and still make sure that those guys do uh, the excellent work that they want to do? So that, that's where my head is around this type of thing.
0: There we go. Let's get the security folks out of the way, let the developers do what they do, and uh, we've got 10 seconds to reach minimum safe distance from this topic. So thank you very much, John. We're going to take a quick break and return with news of the week.